Well, this is episode one of the Glimpsing God's Glory podcast series, and I'm uh, Jonathan Sheffron, pastor of small groups here at Grace, and I am with uh, Jerry Bates, who's one of our elders here, and Jerry, I just uh, appreciate how you offered to do this podcast with me and kind of help us learn a little more about God. Can you first just kind of tell people who aren't familiar with you a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came to grace, how you came to follow Jesus, um, and so you can get to know you a little better? Well, I became a Christian in 1968, uh, my senior year in law school, uh, listening to the preaching of a British missionary at the time named Stuart Briscoe. Hmm. And um, when God opened my understanding to see the truth of his word, uh, Briscoe was preaching out of Ephesians, um, and it suddenly spoke to my heart, uh, opened my eyes, and uh, it also resulted in the Lord giving me a desire to know his word. So I devoured God's word uh, during the first six months that I was a believer. I continued to do so, but I was really soaked myself deeply in the Word. I was living in a fraternity house where we all live like the devil, <laughs> so I didn't have Christians to help me or teach me, so I was strictly reading the Word of God. Um, around 1970, <clears throat> he gave um, uh, put me in a ministry of teaching uh, and used what I had done in studying his word in law school to uh, use me as a teacher. So I've been a teacher since 1970, teaching the scriptures. Um, came to Grace in 1988, became an elder in 1989. Now, Gary and I knew each other from Pantego Bible Church. Okay. I had uh, He was on staff there. He was the college pastor, and uh, I was on the... Uh, uh, board of overseers at the time and um, he and I had visited a little bit off and on and we could tell we we kind of resonated with each other we we felt the same way about various things so um, when he began to work and starting grace eventually we came to grace uh, and he had told me that he had I knew he had started mm -hmm. the church and uh, so we've been here for Long time. 26 years, 27 wow. years. About this time, 1988, August of 88, that's wow. when we started going. Mm -hmm. You started coming here when I was 11 years old. Oh. That is amazing. <laughs> that is that is really amazing. Well, well Grace, I'll yeah. tell you this about Grace, is it, it probably comes closer to any church I've been in that actually understands the priesthood of the believer. Hmm. Uh, that's an emphasis uh, that I think is uh, almost unique to Grace, at least in the churches I've been in before. That's really neat. Yeah, my home groups, I'll sometimes have some former Catholics come in and mm -hmm. we'll be talking about, you know, well, you can go right to God yourself. And, and that's 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 a wonderful truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Why did God put it on your heart to do a series of articles and this podcast we're doing now on getting to know God better? Well, I have a one of the things that he has really laid on my heart some years ago was the need to teach fundamental doctrine, and um, I had a dream one night actually where uh, I was standing in a classroom and it was I was speaking to the class, but it was a like a high school classroom or college classroom. There was a teacher seated at a desk off to my right as I was addressing the class. And I sensed that this teacher was the Lord himself. 
And in the middle of, of whatever we were saying, a Hispanic woman came up to me. I, I don't know why, I just, I do remember she was Hispanic. And she said, teach me the doctrine. Hmm. And I turned and I looked at the Lord and I said, is that okay? And he said, yes, go ahead. <laughs> and so ever since then, I've had this real desire to know the fundamental doctrine. And in teaching this, in, in doing podcasts or, or um, audio series and doing papers on it, is I have a real uh, desire to have people really understand the fundamental doctrines of the faith because it's critical to being able to survive in the culture we're in. And what so many people don't realize is that you talk about fundamental doctrine and they get their eyes start to droop. (laughs) They think it's all this dusty, boring stuff of uh, theologians talk about. But actually, it is the means by which God has chosen to reveal himself. Uh And as you get into this, you're not studying rules and and, um, precepts as much as you are finding him. See, I think that's the key. A lot. Of, I went to seminary, and, and a lot of people got confused where they tried to treat God as this set of truths about Him instead mm-hmm. of getting to know the person of God. And, mm-hmm. and I actually appreciate that about you. Whenever I hear you preach, you're always like, this is a truth, but the truth leads you to the person of right. God, and right. it leads you to a relationship that's not dry and dusty, but is, is powerful. And when we take God's words about Himself and we believe them as true— that's where we really unlock a lot of the power of the gospel in our lives. Yeah, I was telling you before, I, uh, I've taught classes in doctrine, and I teach various groups, and I teach it over and over again, and I never get bored with it. I huh. get excited all over again because you can see what a tremendous person the Lord is. I mean, it, it, it excites me all over again whenever <laughs> I talk about it uh, because it's... The way you begin, now there are many ways that God reveals himself, but this is the way you begin. This Mm -hmm. is the front door into the palace, and it's the way he has chosen to show himself uh, initially, and it's he's just delightful person to come to know and uh, the doctrine displays this about who he is and, and what he's like well i think it's time to to get into you know, the first title of the first article which is glimpsing god's glory mm-hmm. so if you would kind of just share with us about mm-hmm. uh, glimpsing god's glory then then we'll kind of have some questions at the end um in fact we title it that because of what i was just saying Mm -hmm. Um, when we talk about the glory of god i think a lot of folks uh don't really think about what do we mean by the glory of god and or they may have a thought of the shekinah glory from the old testament and yet that is part of the Mm -hmm. glory of god he the light uh, the tremendous uh, glory that is shown in terms of physical observation would be part of it. But what, in fact, the glory of God really means is, especially the Scripture, is that is the essence of who He is. Hmm. So when Jesus prays in John seventeen one, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. In other words, what Jesus is going to do when he is allows himself to be crucified is he is going to demonstrate the glory of God in doing that. Well, how is he going to do that? 
by being crucified and bearing mm-hmm. our sin because it reflects that God is both a God of holiness and justice mm-hmm. but also a God of love. There is a judgment coming that none of us will escape except that he has made a way of escape. Mm-hmm. That's an aspect of who he is. That glorifies him. It shows who he is. It also glorifies Jesus because it shows who he is. You know, And I think some of the, the I like the word you pick glimpsing because I think a lot of what glory is is what we can see about God. Uh, you know, God is invisible, but we can see parts of of God at work, and we can see Him all throughout His attributes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I like that you chose that kind of visual part of the title as well. Yeah, in this life, it's really glimpses. Yeah, this in, side of heaven. Yeah, this side of heaven. Uh, with Him in eternity it'll be much more than glimpses mm-hmm. uh, it'll be full force you know Paul says in First Timothy 6 that God uh, dwells in unapproachable light mm-hmm. uh, here we can't fully approach him but uh, there uh, you know there'll be no temple revelation right. says because the, the the lamb and the father are the light mm-hmm. you know, they, they are there in full and we can never fully know him uh, and grasp all that he is, even if we have eternity to do it. Hmm. So it's going to be, in a sense, in heaven, larger glimpses. <laughs> but it'll definitely not be boring. Yeah, it will not be boring. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's not boring now. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the thing that gets me, is that mm. I'm, I'm anxious for people to understand that getting into the fundamental doctrine is not boring at all. Mm. It's really quite exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, let's, let's get into the first, uh, sure. first truth about God here. The opening question is what I was just saying a few minutes ago, and that is, what is the glory of God? And what did David mean when he said... In Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of the God and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. Um, And what we're saying is that God's glory uh, is a reflection of the essential nature of of who he is. Uh, And his nature is manifested by his works through creation. Um, God's glory being the essence of who he is then is the sum total of his attributes. Now when we say attributes, that's a hard word to define. Um, It's more than character qualities. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is the the essence of all he is and what we're going to do is look at a number of these attributes of God uh, that reflect who he is and these attributes either uh, individually or taken in the sum total, reflect the glory of God. That, mm-hmm. that shows who and what he is. That's who we want to always be seeking after. We want to be pursuing the knowing of him and the, in the seeing his glory. The shorter Westminster Catechism says the primary uh, purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Edwards, I think, um, and John Piper put it uh, this way, quoting Jonathan Edwards, Edwards is really saying the primary purpose of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Uh, and that's what we want to press into is to, to see this glory mm-hmm. uh, in terms of who he is. We've said the Old Testament, uh, God's glory is given visible expression. Mm-hmm. 
the fiery cloud that covered Mount Sinai, the fiery cloud that accompanied the Israelites, the glowing cloud that filled the tabernacle. Uh, you remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, this, descended. this cloud, this fiery cloud descended upon the temple. Yep. Uh, and fire also, and the question you might ask is, well, why is it fiery? Well, fire can mean judgment, but it's also cleansing. Mm-hmm. And uh, light. And in light, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, and light can, in the scripture, often will either refer to holiness or wisdom mm-hmm. or understanding. And he's all of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and willing to have us partake of those things, you know, and show us those things uh, and let them be reproduced in us. So then also, um, uh, he is um, um, Isaiah and Ezekiel. Each mm-hmm. had visions of God's glory revealed again in light and splendor. But when you get to the New Testament, the ultimate revelation of God uh, is in Jesus Himself. Hmm. Uh, the Scriptures are a revelation, and the Scriptures point to Jesus in both Old Testament and New Testament, and He is the ultimate. Uh, Revelation Hebrews one, uh, one through three said, you know, in the in the times past and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now He has revealed Himself through His Son, who is the, um, I think it says the, I'm not reading it, but it's the uh, essence of who He is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the His glory, uh, and Jesus is now from the New Testament standpoint. The one who became flesh, he dwelt among us, uh, and his glory was the glory of the only begotten Son. Again, keep in mind that mm-hmm. when it's saying glory, it's talking about who he is. And so Jesus is the glory um, of the only begotten from the Father. In other words, you want to see what Jesus is, what God is like? Look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's a vis- visible representation of what, what God is, the Father's character is like, yeah. what his actions are like, what his words are like, how he responds to us, all yeah. of those things. In John 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And, John, and Jesus says, Philip, <laughs> I've been hanging out with you for a while. <laughs> I've been, you've been with me the last three years. Uh, don't you understand that when yeah. you've seen me, you've yeah. seen the Father? Uh, one of the gospels of the four gospels I really love to teach is Luke mm-hmm. because it focuses so much on the person of Jesus. And uh, if Jesus is the representation of the Father, then the person of Jesus uh, is um, what you would would give you a good picture of the Father. Mm-hmm. And Jesus in Luke in particular is such a wonderful person and he has control of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is ever out of his control. Even on the cross he's in control. The boat's about to tip over, he's sleeping, you know, he's, he's like, it's all <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. you know, I'm not stressed. And what you what you find is here is a here is a wonderful person who is in absolute control of everything. Mm-hmm. Would you surrender your life and let him control? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just absolutely, because this is who God is. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's, he shows us that. Um, I said earlier that uh, in John 17, 1, he's talking about, Father, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you, uh, and explained that being on the cross does glorify the Father because it shows the Father's 
justice, but it shows the Father's absolute incomparable love. I mean, we mm-hmm. even the angels can't figure it out. Uh, and when you begin to really get a grasp of the love of God, it just boggles your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done so many lousy things, and then he turns around and is gracious, and I Mm-hmm. I can't I can't get my intellect around it, you know. I didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking about in my Christian life. Absolutely. I mean, I've, no, I've yeah, done yeah. rotten things in my Christian life. Sure. And he turns around and is gracious in response to me. So it's um but anyway, all those all those things uh should cause us to want uh to behold his glory. Uh, we should be doing what Moses prayed in Exodus uh 33, Lord, show me your glory. Mm-hmm. And what's God's response to him? Okay. Let's go. <laughs> I, I'll, I need to protect you so that you're not uh, blown out of the, into molecules. Right. But yes, I'll show you my glory. Uh, he delights to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to reveal himself. He wants to show himself. And that should be our prayer. Uh, Moses is not being presumptuous. That's the way we ought to all be is... Say, Lord, show me your glory. I, I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you better. I think a lot of Christians do have a very one-dimensional view of God, that he's either their provider and that's his one dimension, or he's the one who loves them and accepts them, and that's their one dimension, but they don't know about these other attributes that are just as much a part of God as just those. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's, I think we could all say, God, would you show us your glory so that we can deepen in our understanding of, of God and all his attributes. That's one reason Paul prays, uh, and he, he prays this in more than one place, but in Ephesians 1.18, well, first in 1.17, he says, I pray that you'd be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation mm-hmm. in the knowledge of him. And then the very next thing he says in the, in verse 18 is, and I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened hmm. so that you may know the hope of his calling and the depth of the riches of the inheritance in him hmm. and the power that is toward us. But you can take that eyes of your heart be enlightened and apply it far beyond the context. Uh-huh. You want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened by his spirit yeah. in order that you might know more and more of him and, and see more of him um, and, and as a result of that it's in knowing him that uh, genuine worship arises I mean, mm-hmm. as you know him the interesting thing about as you come to know him and the scripture talks more and more most commonly in when they say the scripture says no and this is true both Old Testament and New Testament it means uh, a personal knowing, not mm-hmm. simply an intellectual knowing, but a relational knowing. It is a knowing in the sense of the knowing you have in relationship. Mm-hmm. You know your children and they know you. Yeah. you. You know your wife you know and she knows you. It is a relational knowing that the scripture is talking about when it's talking about knowing God. And as we know him, what's interesting is we come to know ourselves. Mm. And we come to see what we are. Yeah. <laughs> and we see what he is in the light of who he is. We see who we are. Well, as John the Baptist said, you know, he must increase and, and we must decrease. And that, that's why Augustine said, shall I praise you before I know you? Mm-hmm. No, I must know you before I praise you, lest I praise you amiss. And so true, genuine worship arises out of the ever-increasing knowledge of him. And this will be true of prayer, too. But, but your worship deepens the more you know him. 
So what are some real practical ways of getting to know God? Obviously, we're going to be doing some some of these podcast articles about different aspects of God, but just I want to get to know God. What are some ways that I can today start to get to know him better? Well, uh, his his primary uh, means of revealing himself is the scripture. If you look at um, uh, Psalm 19, where we started talking about it, it, you know, he says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The first six verses of Psalm 19 are talking about the creation itself is a general revelation. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says that no one has any excuse because God is evident mm-hmm. through the creation uh, for what he's done. I was talking to an atheist one time, and we, we were we were talking, and I, uh, he was telling me he was an atheist. And I said, what do you base your atheism on? Why, why do you say there's no God? Uh, and he said, well, there's no evidence. <laughs> and I said, well... <laughs> what would you accept as evidence? Yeah, well, <laughs> Look around you. I yeah. mean, I mean, it's all around you. Uh, I know Bertrand Russell was asked, "What will you do if you find out he was an atheist? Mm-hmm. You find out there was no God, there was a God, and you stand mm-hmm. before him." And I, he said, "I will say, sir, why did you hide yourself so well?" What? Yeah, <laughs> he's not hiding himself at all. He is. This is general revelation, uh, the most barbaric, uh, savage, uh, prehistoric person can look around themselves and see that God is who he is. It tells us a number of things about him just from general revelation. He's a person of beauty, mm-hmm. uh, order, uh, omnipotence, omniscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things you, you deduce from looking at the creation around you. Uh, listening to testimony one time of a, a wife of a Turkish pastor she had been an atheist, hmm. and in the university, she was sitting in a uh, garden, mm-hmm. and she started noticing the varieties of yeah. the colors. You know, God gave us color. How would you like to live in a black and white world? <laughs> that could have happened. Yeah. I mean, big God, yeah, yeah, and his creativity. And she started realizing the um, order of, of mm. everything around her and the beauty of it and the delicacy mm-hmm. of things. And then she thought, this couldn't have come about by evolution. Mm-hmm. And that started her on the path uh, to finding God. That's so it, cool. It started her. But then... But thankfully we don't have to depend on that. We don't have to depend on the general revelation. No. You, know, you look around most of, of our homes, we've got three or four or five copies of the Bible in our own language that's our first language sitting on the shelf somewhere. Or it's on the internet, and it's just right there, ready for us to to do something with. Uh, what would you say would be a good place to start for somebody who's like me? I just want to get to know God specifically. Where would you Where would you point them in the Bible as a good first place? Well, in fact, the second half of uh, verse seven to the end of Psalm nineteen goes from general revelation to specific revelation mm-hmm. because it's in the scriptures that He now shows us about Himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the the depths of who he is. And I would probably, when I first became a Christian, I started with the book of James, but I don't think I'd recommend <laughs> it today. I, I would say if you really want to, I would say start reading John, mm-hmm. Gospel of John or Luke, 
Yeah. I, the Gospels are a great place because they're all about Jesus and their stories. And we can kind of get engaged with God's heart mm-hmm. and get to learn more about his heart for people and how he reacts to sin and how he reacts to all different situations and just his sacrificial love for us. I think it's a, it's a phenomenal place to start. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, that there's some uh, there's some people who are talking about other gods out there. You know, that there's there's some counterfeit uh, glory um, that some people are putting out there. And how can we become the kind of a believer who doesn't get distracted or confused by either a counterfeit gospel or a, a counterfeit counterfeit manifestation of supernatural power from something else? Well, and that gets back to your original question of why are you wanting to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, frankly, it's the Word of God that is your most uh, strongest defense against this stuff. And it, it is coming into the churches today. And we know from Scripture that in the end times it will be particularly bad that there will be a delusion and doctrines of demons proliferating. Uh, Jude was very concerned about the false teachers that were coming into the church. And in verse 3, he says, I want to uh, encourage you uh, to contend for the faith. Mm-hmm. And the, the Greek word there for contend means what they would have used for hand-to-hand combat. In other words, Jude is saying, this is a life and death matter. Uh-huh. Uh, and he is explaining, and he will get further into that when he gets down into verse 20, when he says, building yourself up on your most holy faith, uh-huh. praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, and anticipating the mercy that you will receive from Christ in that day. Build yourself up on your most holy faith is the first thing he says. He's not talking about the intangible faith of belief and trust. He's talking about knowing the faith, the mm-hmm. scriptures, uh, the fundamental doctrines. Mm-hmm. That is your primary uh, safeguard. Paul with the spiritual armor, the very first piece of armor he deals with is the belt of mm-hmm. truth. Okay, Now that belt of truth can encompass a number of aspects of truth, but primarily is the fundamental doctrines of the faith mm-hmm. because everything else hangs on it. Yeah. Uh, your belt isn't right. Your breastplate's going to fall off. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things that are dependent on the belt of truth, and that's how you begin to test false teaching and false prophets uh, mm-hmm. because they're going to, so often the false prophets, what he doesn't say rather than what he says, but... That's your first line of defense is to be able to watch out for counterfeit and glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and God works supernaturally today, but so is the enemy. Mm-hmm. And the thing, and God warns people in, in Deuteronomy 13, he says, you know, if a, if a prophet comes into your midst and he tells you things or he gives a dreamer of dreams and he tells you things and they come to pass and they happen, and but then he leads you to false gods, don't. Don't follow them, you know, because See. you're being tested. But God acknowledges that you can have prophets who give you what appears to be good information, accurate prophecy, mm-hmm. so to speak, at least appears to be. And so the enemy can come in and counterfeit with miracles, with supernatural things. And the way you, you guard yourself is you, you be able to 
test the Word. They test it against the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you're casually waiting to happen. You're going to be led down the garden path sooner or later. Well, I've, I've served with people, you know, in, in ministry, and and they got distracted by by counterfeit truth, and oh, yeah. and aren't aren't shoulder to shoulder with me in ministry anymore. And so I've seen the value of knowing the 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 truth about God and having the belt of truth on me so we don't get distracted by some of these things. Well, man, I am excited about this. I'm looking forward to, you know, getting into each of the uh, attributes of God and getting to know him better and how that applies to our lives. So thank you, Jerry, for sharing us with sharing this with us. My pleasure.